Um, AJ, we're still, we're, we got a FSC on Norma's case on Tuesday. Yes. And we'll, um, that trial that, that, that Tim was in that kicked our case wound up not going. And now it's the, now it's in the way again. Hopefully this time. Welcome to the world of being a trial lawyer. When I hear somebody's tried 50 to 100 cases, the first thing I think of is, how the hell did you get out that much? I, I mean, I've been trying, took me goddamn 20 years. Hey, Billy. Hey, Mike, did you say something about overdressing? <laughs> yeah, it was not addressed to you. <laughs> <laughs> How about the Dodgers, my man? I was at the game. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping it carries over to this weekend. <laughs> um, one of the guys I was with, he's been on here, Brian Cardoza. He's a, who's the head of litigation at SoCal Edison. Good friend. Good guy. He came with me. And it was going, going. He goes, I'm not leaving because my first date with my wife before she was my wife was to the 84 World Series. And we left right as a guy named Kurt Gibson was coming up to bat. Yeah. 88. 88. 88. 88. I was I was actually at that game and stayed, thankfully. And he's like, and we're going through the turnstile on the way to the parking and we hear the crowd and we're like, oh, shit. Yeah. I did that Clippers last year. You know, when they came back 27 down, I think um, we were literally on our way out almost to the end of the third quarter. We're walking out. And by the time we got from the suite to the side, we were down by 14. So I turn and look. Now we're down by 11. And then we all go, all right, let's stay. Of course, Gina was already out of the Staples Center. And she's <laughs> like, just go watch the rest of the game. I'm going to sit in the, in the car. And it turned out to be the, one of the, probably they said one of the greatest, if not the greatest Clipper game. Lucky. And then she says, why do you guys keep talking about this shit? It already happened. What? <laughs> All right. So, 1001, as you guys know. Oh, Brian, I just told about you and your wife, your, your, your wife at the, your girlfriend at the time leaving that. Yeah. Series game. Well, we, re we broke the curse, buddy. We broke the curse. I'm now, uh, I'm now uh, a new man. Yeah. We stayed. So as we, uh, as we figured out, a uh, <clears throat> 10 o'clock start time means 10.04. And as you can see in the last minute, most of the people have gone on. So we're gonna wait another couple of minutes. Hey guys, everybody's here. I've got to let people in. Um, you got a lot of different varied things to talk about. All really good. Um, also, I'm going to talk about a, a live event next month that everybody should come to. It's going to be great, but I'm going to wait a little bit. If you guys want to start in the chat, I put the names and the authors of about seven books that I believe 
any one of which, if you read, will be super helpful for you in life and your practice. So if you guys want to start going into chat, even cut and paste it into an email or something, um, can you guys see that in the chat? I was just going to say, I don't see anything in the chat. You don't see it, okay. No, neither does Jennifer. All right. Hi, Mike. I don't see it. <laughs> All right. Let me see. I'm going to see if I can copy it. And I'm going to repaste it. It says to everyone in the meeting. How's that? Yeah, it's there now. I see it. I see it. Thank you. Great. All right. Corinne. Corinne Katz. Corinne, welcome, Mama. All right. So let's keep going. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, I've got Todd and Kevin on here. They're going to talk in just a few minutes about some things that I never thought of that is gonna add a significant value to a whole bunch of my cases and for our clients that I wanted them to, when they were telling me, I'm like, you guys gotta come on to Alder Talk and tell everybody this shit because I've missed this for 20 years and it's just extra money for our clients. So we're gonna talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to remind everybody in the chat, I, um, put a list of books that I think if you read will help you in your practice and in your life. It's from, it includes Fireproof, which we've talked about, which is the, the Michigan PI lawyer talking about how to run a firm and metrics and how to hire people, et cetera. Talks about life principles from the Ray Dalio to the Chopwood Carry Water. But there's another book in there that's uh, by Dale Carnegie. And for anyone under the age of 45, you probably say like Dale who? Dale Carnegie wrote a book in the 40s or 50s called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he did a, uh, they did an update, but I gotta tell you that is one of the books that has affected me so much in my lifetime because what the book is about, and it's just amazing how prescient and how timeless these things are. It's a book about how people interact with each other, how they interact, friends, acquaintances, at parties, at events, at conventions, at birthday parties, at school, all these different events. And he gives examples of interactions and ways to better your communication how to get out of tough situations, how to fire someone. How to, and I gotta tell you, it is so much worth a read because for just the one thing I've used so many times, he called it the sandwich effect, right? When you're giving someone bad news or something that you is criticism, sandwich it between good to good things, right? So for example, if you're given a review, I've used this so many times. And there are things that 
need to be improved on? Let's say they need to be more proactive or I feel like they're not following the guidelines, whatever you sandwich it. And I, so, and here's Sam. So Sam's on here. Sam, I'm going to give you a review. Sam, I just wanted to thank you for really being a part of the team for really understanding where we're going for working hard for helping people it's exactly what i want and i want to participate in our firm values and i see you doing that that's that's right good i did want to raise a couple of issues that i think need to be improved upon you know i i don't think you're following the guidelines quite as much as i want i need you to, i think to be a little more proactive i'm here to help you etc then the sandwich but I just want to say again, what a, an amazing team member you are. I, I love what you're doing with your staff. You're really helping people keep it up. And I know that you're going to improve on these things because I can see you're the type of person that takes this and will run with it. Just that sandwich between. Didn't that feel a lot better? <laughs> but what I did communicate is that I need you to improve on these certain things. I have used this, you guys don't even know, I've used it on all of y'all, right? I have sandwiched y'all ass a few times, but it works. And so that's just a, one of the things that I would say. Then the John Morgan books, you can't teach hungry and you can't teach vision. If you guys have never read the Morgan books, um, I'd highly recommend them. If you don't know who John Morgan is, You've been sleeping under a rock. He uh, runs Morgan & Morgan, which is the largest personal injury firm in the country. I want to say I read somewhere they get like 6,000 cases a month, something like, you know, some crazy shit like that. Yeah. He wrote two books. The first one, Can't Teach Hungry, is really a blueprint on you can see his experience of how you want to set up a firm, how you want to hire people, how you want to do your outlook, how you want to approach marketing, how you want to approach customer service. And then you can't teach vision is about all the same things that we've been talking about, about what do you look for? How are you looking forward in your life, in your practice, et cetera. Highly recommend all of the books here. And of course, last, The Richest Man in Babylon. I gave it to a friend of mine last week and I remember it and I've listened to it again on tape as I'm driving um, my kids and my wife around in the new Sprinter van to school. You know, they've gotten really used to that quickly, but I'm listening and I listened to the whole book on tape in two days. And it is the single best money wealth building advice book I've ever read, ever seen, written in the 30s. And it just talks about basic investing in money principles, how to pay your debts, how to invest your money. It is phenomenal. Take you two days. You really got to read it. I, it's helped me tremendously. It's you turn around a month, uh, a year later, and you got more money. And it, you didn't really even think about it. So anything before we get to how to improve our practices with uh, Todd and Kevin. Anybody got a, anybody want to say anything before we get there? All right. So I've known Kevin and Todd, two lawyers here in LA that for, I shit, I don't even know forever, right? right? Kind of known, I know everybody forever. And they, we went to lunch a couple of days ago and they were saying, Mike, have you ever thought about 
whether your clients apply when they get fired and they have severance or they have a comp case and they have a settlement or they have a settlement uh, in a PI case about whether they qualified under some sort of long-term disability policy through their work. Because you, so they go, do you ask your clients and do you investigate on the front end, where do you work and do they have a long-term disability policy? You know, does Walmart or CVS or whatever have it? Have they asked about it? And if not, open it because they do the bad faith on long-term disability. And I was shocked at how much more prevalent it is than I thought. So Kevin, Todd, can you guys spend about five or 10 minutes just kind of educating us and, and uh, why this means something to our clients, to our practices? Sure. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, so my name is Kevin Zeitz and Todd Krause is somewhere in this uh, matrix. Uh, so Todd and I are disability specialists. So basically, we represent people who have been denied disability benefits by insurance companies. So uh, basically what that means is our clients at some point during their working career have taken it upon themselves to purchase a disability insurance policy that insures a portion of their income in case they become sick or perhaps they've had an accident and they've been injured and, and the end result is they can't work. Um, and these policies provide these people with a monthly stream of benefits um, uh, in, in the event that they either are not going to be going back to work for a long period of time or sometimes they never go back to work at all. Um, so, you know, you're probably thinking, well, I'm a PI lawyer or I'm a work comp lawyer and, and you know, I, I don't represent people who've been denied disability benefits. So why do I, you know, why do I need to know all this stuff? Um, that, that's really the point of, uh, like Mike said, the point of this discussion today. Um, I, I'm going to get to two points, I think, that, um, that, that Todd and I are seeing uh, come up quite a bit, not only in our disability practice, but we're getting contacted by lawyers and uh, clients who have PI cases pending or who have sued their employer or have entered into some sort of settlement agreement with their employer. And there are um, uh, some things going on that lawyers don't know about, and they're making a lot of mistakes. And um, so that's why we brought it to Mike's attention. We'd like to bring it to the attention of as many, uh, many plaintiff's lawyers as we can. Um, so really quickly, so like what, what is ERISA? I mean, everybody has heard it at some point or another. Uh, it, it's, it's, the acronym is Employee uh, Retirement Income Security Act. Uh, it's basically a federal statute that governs certain types of um, employee benefit uh, plans, which involve things like life insurance, health insurance, uh, short-term disability, and long-term disability insurance. Um, and, and basically, these policies are written uh, for members of employee groups uh, that are subject to um, ERISA remedies, which typically... Uh, preempt uh, state laws and uh, and state law remedies. Um, basically, uh, this statute was enacted in 1974 to protect the interests of employees under uh, employee benefit plans uh, because what was happening in the 60s was people were retiring and they were finding out that their uh, employee employer either is go was going bankrupt, uh, had gone bankrupt, or that the their retirement plans were uh, completely defunct. And so Congress eventually stepped in in 74 and uh, enacted this law that uh, had the intent of protecting employers, um, employees, I'm sorry, uh, from um, this sort of thing. Um, 
basically what has happened in the last 40 years is state laws, uh, the case law has developed in such a fashion that basically uh, these group plans are providing employees with less protection for employees and than more. And, and the example that, that I would give to you guys that you probably see all the time is a situation where you've settled a PI case and your client has health insurance through their employer. And you have this claim administrator who administers the group plan for the, uh, the group health insurance carrier. Uh, and they say, hey, this, this claim is governed by ERISA. Um, all your state law um, concepts like make whole and common fund doctrine don't don't apply and we want every penny and, and, uh, and, and basically they get every penny. And so that causes us as PI lawyers to have to um, make some decisions about how we're gonna handle those kind of claims and whether we're even gonna take the case in the first place. Um, so, so basically what the lawyers handling PI and work comp cases need to know. Um, if, oops, sorry, if, uh, if you have clients that are off work due to injuries sustained in an accident or due to an industrial situation, um, you need to ask them if they are a participant in their employer's short-term uh, and or long-term disability uh, plan. And if they are, you then need to ask them whether they've actually made a claim under the, uh, dis their employer's disability plan. Um, can, we, can we find this out? through uh, on their paycheck stubs that- Yeah, so if you look at their, if you look at a client's pay stub, you have a loss of earnings claim and you've obtained all of this, their, their pay stub information. Um, sometimes the premiums for these, for this, through these policies are paid by the employer, in which case you would not see any evidence of the plan uh, on your client's pay stub. But if your client is paying the premiums as a payroll deduction, you know, every two weeks they get a pay stub, uh, where you see the deductions for things like social security, Medicare, uh, and the taxes being withheld, you'll see something that will say STD or LTD. Uh, and if you see that, you know your client is paying for short-term disability and or long-term disability through a group plan sponsored by their employer. And so, um, so I just wanted to interrupt and I, and I don't wanna, we have a limited amount of time. So should we, when we see that, if we ask or we see it on the paycheck stub and we under, they, they know they have a disability, we should tell our clients, make a claim for our, your, on your disability policy, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people don't even know they have it, um, you know, and if they don't and you happen to see on your pay stub that they have short-term or long-term disability, then certainly it's advantageous to them to pursue uh, the claim. Where Todd and I usually get involved is at the point where they've made the claim, the claim's denied, but that's really not the subject of today's discussion. Uh, what we're seeing happening a lot is um, um, a, a lot of these short-term and or long-term disability provisions uh, or long-term and disability uh, plans, um, they contain uh, reimbursement provisions in them, very similar to the type of reimbursement provision you see in your client's group health insurance uh, policy. So uh, we're seeing cases where lawyers who are handling the PI case are moving through the case, getting the case resolved. Sometimes they don't even know, uh, one, that the client had an, a long-term or short-term disability claim pending. And if they did, 
sometimes they don't even know that the policy that this particular policy actually had a reimbursement provision, which in effect creates a lien on the PI case they're handling. So everybody, and I, you know, we, Mike and I joked about this at lunch the other day. I mean, how many times have you had a PI case where you settled it and the case is over, you've dispersed the money and six months or 12 months later, you get, you get a call from a medical provider that says, Hey, what's the status of the Smith case? Uh, um, you know, we have a, you know, we have a, we have an outstanding uh, balance out and you're like, well, holy shit, this case settled six months ago. So, you know, at the end of the day, we end up writing a check. So nobody wants to be in that position uh, with an LTD uh, uh, so case what? where, where your client's been paid benefits by the carrier, carrier now has a lien on the PI case and you, you and your client are completely oblivious to the situation uh, you certainly don't want to be oblivious to the situation because ultimately it puts you in a bad spot. So yeah, Mike. One, one last thing and kind of put this into concrete for all of us. And then I'll, we will give you guys Kevin and Todd's information. But one, if your client is injured and um, they can't work and they have a disability policy and they can get money through their disability while your case is going, that means less client advances. That means you don't have to borrow money at usurious rates. And even if they get a reimbursement or they want money back on the back end, that's a negotiable number. So it's a lot cheaper money for your client if they have an applicable disability policy to get that money from the carrier, from the disability carrier, than from a cash advance company. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when your clients are disabled because they've been in an accident and you're representing them on the PI case, uh, not only are they going to be getting money from the EDD, state disability, which they can get for 52 weeks, but like Mike said, they um, are, if they have a short-term or dis long-term disability plan, then th this is another source of income that can take some pressure off these clients while you're proceeding through the, uh, the PI or the work, the, comp the work comp process. So the last part of this, or the second part of this is now we've settled a case and I asked them, well, but if you're settling against, like, let's say it's a comp case and you're settling against the employer, or let's say it's a third party case and they have an employer that, you know, they have are covered under, can you carve out, because these settlement agreements say, we release everyone about everything and you, everything from now on is gone. Can we carve those things out and how likely is it that we can settle a case, distribute to our client, we get paid, and then the client continues to get their disability without any liens because the case is settled. Yeah, so, so Mike, what we're seeing is, uh, and this is happening, I, I mean, literally on a weekly basis, we're getting calls about things like this. Um, it's, it's not so much the third party settlement, Mike, where, where you've settled a case and State Farm sends you a release that says you're releasing uh, the driver and the insurance company and all the, um, all the employees and directors and agents of the insurance company. It's not so much that situation. It's a situation where in addition to your client's PI case, um, they've got some other claim or other litigation pending. Uh, perhaps they've sued their, their, their employer for um, you know, wage an hour, uh, harassment and discrimination or uh, some sort of claim against their employer uh, where they're ultimately going to enter into a settlement with their employer to make that case go away. Or if the client, even if the client doesn't have litigation pending with, that involves their employer, sometimes if these people are never coming back to work, the employer is going to present them with a, 
a severance package and they're going to make them sign a, a, a release. It's and, and whether it's a severance package or you're settling a case with your employer while your PI case is going, it may have nothing to do with your PI case, but if you don't know these things are happening in the background, then you, then, then, then ultimately um, your, your client could get themselves into trouble. So what happens is when they sign a settlement agreement with their employer, uh, these policy, these, these settlement agreements are going to have very broad um, waiver language that waives every conceivable claim under the sun, including claims made under ERISA. And claims made under ERISA are going to include their short-term and or long-term disability plan, uh, any claims made under a short-term or long-term disability policy uh, sponsored by their employer. So what's happening is people are entering into agreements to settle their cases uh, wage and hour cases, harassment cases, discrimination cases, uh, wrongful term cases with their employer, or they're signing severance agreements, taking a big check and, uh, and moving on. And they have no clue that what they have just done is in effect completely waive the disability claim that's currently pending. So can, uh, we, can we contact you guys? And I got to end, uh, we don't have that much more time. Can we contact you for carve out language that we- Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. and that's what has to happen. Yeah. So kind of the bottom line is we're going to give you Todd and, and Kevin's information. If you email them, they'll provide you with in pretty much every case that we settle, either PI, employment, comp, set where there's a severance agreement, any wage an hour, the release the first draft will probably waive all of your client's Absolutely. potential future long-term disability. And if they work for a bigger company and they no longer can work there, they're probably got a disability policy covered. Yeah. And, they, and will the you, they will send you the language that you add to the release that carves out settling the disability. And then right. they essentially get paid potentially for the rest of their life in addition to your case. Yeah, so it's quite, it, it, I mean, we've seen, unfortunately, clients sign settlement agreements with their employers while they're pursuing a long-term disability claim. And, and, and actually, some of these people are actually represented by lawyers, and the lawyers have absolutely no clue that when they're having their client sign this, 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 set, this severance package or this settlement agreement in, in one of these litigated employment cases, that they've just blown out a, a um, disability case that over the course of 10, 15, 20, 25 years could pay these people hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars. And well, let me, uh, uh, let, and me have, Mike, have, let me just say one thing, Mike. Yeah, Ty, go ahead. Anybody <laughs> that does this on a carve out, anytime you have any type of settlement and you put this language in, it will not cost the employer or the other side one cent more. It does nothing other than preserve these individuals' rights to go after their long-term disability claims should they be severely injured and not be able to return to work. So it doesn't affect or increase cost in any way. And that's a huge deal because that's the, the first line of defense is, oh, we had a deal, we thought we were done. And you're like, you are done. Even with the carve out, you're done. Exactly. So uh, 60 seconds left. We have a question about for EDD payments, which is uh, disability payments, um, do you have to reimburse for that? And how does that work if you have a client injured? They're now, they're getting paid disability. They're right. getting, go ahead. So, so basically, you know, when you're handling your PI case, you know, you, you, um, if you're in litigation, sometimes you'll get the discovery asking if your clients receive disability benefits 
uh, from the EDD, uh, which is state disability, which the, your clients can get for up to 52 weeks. Um, the way it works in this, in, in conjunction with, with the disability claim is the disability carrier will pay, let's say 60% of a person's pre-disability income, but they'll, they'll deduct, they'll offset the money they're getting um, from the EDD for state disability. There's no reimbursement. There's no lien by the state. The, the, the only way the EDD benefit affects a disability case, the kind of cases that Todd and I handle is, is the LTD carrier gets to, to subtract or offset that money from, um, from their monthly benefit. It, it doesn't affect your PI case at all, to, other than to the extent that you're going to say that it's a collateral source and it, the defendant's not going to get any uh, benefit from uh, your client receiving those benefits from the state of California. So last, uh, any questions? Again, I, I'm sorry that we're, we're cooking with gas, but, you know, that's the way we roll. So no, if you feel- have any, any other questions, like I said, Todd and Kevin Zernfro, we're going to, Rita, the candy lady that everybody knows and loves, is going to send you guys that information. Feel free. These are wonderful people. They are the same mindset that everybody on here is. They're, they will help you. They will give you advice. They'll they'll help you run through it. So really, thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So let me switch gears. Um, We, Gene and I have been at a couple of conventions, uh, like everybody, you know, TBI and Cal Island. So many people come up to us. One, they say, well, we follow you on Instagram. I'm like, how the goats? And I'm like, still shocked about that. But secondly, they go, I love that you teach and talk about all the shit that it takes to run a practice other than how to take a depot and how to do whatever. I love how you give suggestions on how to live your life. I love how you, all this stuff. So we are going to do the first annual Alder Talk Live, live, in real life. Uh, The teaser is coming out today. It is going to be Monday, November 1st, from 1 in the afternoon to 6 p.m., and you'll get dinner. And I'm doing that on purpose, a short period of time. So this is what it will be, a live event. It's free, but you got to register. I may charge like 10 bucks just so that people don't think it's not worth anything. But we're going to have Reza Tor today going to talk about the systems to set up to run your practice better, how to hire people in a more efficient, better way, how to keep track of your money, of your cases, of your intake in a very easily understandable way. Then we're going to go to a influencer. Hopefully we're going to get, we're going to get Jennifer who was on here, a real Instagram influencer, social media marketer that's not related to law is going to talk to us about how social media works, how Facebook and Instagram works, and how you use that in developing social media to whatever level you want to increase your outreach to the messages. And they're going to talk about real life, concrete things that make a difference to real people, not just us, but real people that are looking at our Instagram feeds, right? If all the people that 
are on our followers are the same PI lawyers, then we all post, we're here for you. And I'm like, no, I'm here for your ass. You know, this is how do you reach outside of that? Then we're going to have Ari Kornhaber from Esquire Bank, a former trial lawyer, founder of Esquire Bank. They service around the country, public bank trial lawyers. And he's going to come in and talk about every conceivable way that we can finance our cases. He's gonna talk about the advantages of certain types of financing from lines of credit to going outside in the market to having cost advance uh, lines of credit to getting money. He's gonna talk about how much it costs, the different interest rates. And he's gonna give it, when he was telling me about it, there are so many different ways of financing your practices that will that you can use some leverage and really make your your practice a lot better. And then last, we're going to have live my our good friend Stedman Graham, Oprah's boyfriend, is going to come in. He has written multiple best-selling books about success and about life and about approach. And while you guys are munching on delicious dinner, Stedman Graham and I are going to talk about how to find balance and happiness, how to maximize your motivation, become effective. And in five short hours, I think it will change how you think about your practice. So November 1st, Monday afternoon, one to six, teasers coming out. You can certainly always reach the candy lady, Rita, and she'll give you the information. Okay. Switching gears. This last part, I want to talk about some things that have come up in my practice and in my life where people have asked me about stuff for advice, etc. That I'm like, you know what? Let me talk about that on Alder Talk Live because it's so universal and we all deal with it. Everybody. Every single one of us deal with it. And I want to talk about it, right? Now, uh, last year, or at, right at the beginning of 2021, we did an Alder Talk Live that was called Welcome 2021. And we all did an exercise together that took about a half an hour about setting our goals. So I wanted to first set that if you go on to the YouTube channel, Alder Talk Live YouTube channel, and go to the Welcome 2021 edition, at minute 32, we start a process where we all went through for about 20 minutes and we came out on the other side with written goals that I hope that we all have been working on. If you have not done that yet, it is well worth the 20 minutes to go back, go to, to the YouTube channel, Alder Talk Live, welcome 2021, and around midpoint, around minute 32, we go through that exercise. So the first thing I want to do is I was talking to someone who did that exercise with me. Last week I was talking to him. And they were lost about, I don't, I've kind of lost my way of what's going on. And the first question I asked is, 
Have you looked at those written goals recently? Can everybody guess what the answer is? And the reason I said that is because goals are guideposts in our lives. And just like all of us are gonna understand exactly what this person told me last week, but Mike, I got busy. I had kids, the school, you don't know, I gotta take depots. I gotta pay bills. I gotta get, Mike, yeah. And what happens in our lives is that shit takes over. And then a month later, we're like, where did the month go? Right? How many of us, I just said this to Jeannie the other day, I said, yeah, last year we did whatever. She goes, no, babe, that was two years ago. And I'm like, shit. And then a month goes by, then six months go by, and we're so caught up in our day-to-day, we haven't looked at our guideposts that are these goals that then pull you back a little bit. And that is how, on a macro way, that you accomplish the real things that you want to accomplish in your life, So I really strongly recommend that you do it because just the process is so valuable to help you start to get your priorities. 30 minutes, 20 minutes, all right? So then the second thing was, they said, Mike, how do you have so much time to do all your shit? What do you mean? Well, every time I see you, you're doing this or you and that, and you know, I don't have time to do all the shit you do, right? Well, we all have the same amount of time. And I said, well, there are ways in the same amount of time for all of us to become more efficient at the things we want to do. And so I want to repeat this again, and I want to go through a really quick exercise. Everybody on this call is smart. Everybody on this call is ambitious. Everybody on this call is probably a lawyer, right? They all got through law school. You had the resources, the ambition. You know how to work hard. You know how to accomplish goals. So why aren't we all just fucking kicking ass and taking names? Why are some people more successful than others? Why do people get more done in the same time than others? And I believe it's really a function of choice, but choice is a function of mental um, willpower. And we all have a certain amount of willpower. And I I call it, I, I use the example that our willpower every day is like a battery in a cell phone. And throughout the day, the battery goes down. Our willpower goes down. Don't you have more energy in the morning? When that battery is down at 11 p.m. at night, isn't that when you're eating the ice cream that you swore you would never do? Having that second drink, you swore you'd never do? And that's a big function of our mental fortitude has gone down. Our battery has gone down, okay? And so if you can do things that you want to do, but expend less mental energy, then you have energy to do other things. So remember the first time you ever drove to a courthouse. Remember that. You're looking at 
depending on how old you are, the phone or a Thomas guide. And by the time you got to that courthouse, the first time you're straight, you're like, son of a bitch, I'm in LA trade. You're stressed, right? Now, the 20th time you went to that courthouse, you don't even remember driving there. Now, the action is the same. You drove to the courthouse. But the mental energy that you expended the 20th time was substantially less than the first time. And what is the reason for that? Habit. It became habitual. And so for all of the things that we want to accomplish more of, eating better, working out, being with our family, getting more cases, marketing, doing writing notes, doing going to mixers, whatever we want to do. If we can make it easier, easily, or more easy to use less mental energy to do that, we can do more of it in a day. And that is what a routine does. So concretely, I want to do two things today. I want you to think about one time. You know how we all sometimes we're like, man, this morning I was fucking kicking ass. I was like, I got so much done this morning. Shit. I want you to think about that one time, one time where you like really, it's like you seem like you were just getting everything done or you really worked out really hard and you think about that way. It can be different for anybody. And there's no right or wrong answer, but I want you to be honest with yourself and look at what you were doing before that to set up yourself for that particular time. And I think you'll find if you really look back, you know, well, I really worked out every day last week or that week, you'll probably find out that those were the weeks that you slept, you went to bed earlier, or that you didn't drink as much, or you set out your clothes, or you set out your keys, or you put your phone in the other room, or the days that you got a lot more done at work, you probably left your phone at home, or you closed your door, or you got more sleep the night before. Whatever it is, if you can identify those things and repeat them, you will find that you're more efficient because you're using less mental energy. And after about a month to a month and a half, it becomes a good habit. That is the key. That is the key. So the second exercise, you guys know that as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more and more of a hippie. I can just deal with it, right? How do you recharge that battery during the day? It is well known that stress builds on stress, builds on stress. You know how everybody in the entire world has heard the term, the straw that broke the camel's back? That's because each straw weighs the same, but the last straw just happens to be on a bunch of other straws. And that's the way stress works. So if we can throughout the day do something to remove a level of stress, to reset, to charge our battery back up one time a day, two times a day, <coughs> you will find that you have more energy. So I need you guys for 30 seconds to do this with me. And this is something you can do 
at any time, go hide in the closet so nobody sees you doing this, you know, whatever. I want everybody to sit up and whatever you're doing, sit on the edge of your chair. And I want you to envision a string attached to the ceiling and it's at the top of your head and it's pulling you right up in the middle, okay? Now close your eyes. And I want you to now envision that string going through your skull, down your spine, and it's keeping you straight. Now, I want you for the next 20 seconds, become that string, that center, and think of nothing in your past, think of nothing in your future, but for 20 seconds, I want you to feel yourself centered in your body and just be present. And if your mind goes elsewhere, pull it right back and just think of nothing but the present for 20 seconds. Ready? Go. Boom, done. I cannot overemphasize. I know that sounds like you're all like, dude, where's my prayer beads, whatever. I get it. I get it, right? But just that, you don't understand. It's put more energy in our batteries. So let's now finally on this apply. Wow, that's a great thing, Mike. How do I do more of that? Remember. The first time we just did it, you had to get over feelings of embarrassment. Uh, this is a pain in the ass. I'm not a weirdo, uh, whatever, right? Then you're like, well, I don't have time to do that. I'm busy all day. Then let's apply what I just talked about. How do you make it easier for you to do that one or two times a day? Well, the easiest thing is to set your alarm at different times on your phone. And when the alarm goes off at 11 and at two, you turn the alarm off and you literally spend 30 seconds doing that. I guarantee you after three or four days, you'll feel so good that you're like gonna make it a third time. And within a month to a month and a half, it becomes a part of you. And it's so easy to do, you don't even think about it. And what an incremental change that becomes a catastrophic change for the positive in your life. Imagine doing that a couple of times a day for a month. So I'm going to stop. Thoughts? Comments? You're full of crap? I'm not. I'm totally comfortable in that. All right. Everybody doing okay? Ray, I see you. You're like, man, I gotta, I'm feeling good right now, brother. I am feeling good. I want to say um, happy Friday to everybody. I know that we're always super thankful to you, Mike, uh, for doing this stuff. And we still are, I still am, but I see a lot of uh, old faces here, meaning that I've you know, been around for a while and newer faces and it's really really cool 
um, you know, because a lot of you guys are in LA and we don't get to see each other very often, but I just want to say happy Friday, everybody. And I hope everybody's doing well and kicks butt and starts the weekend off right and starts Monday off right. Thank you. That's great. Um, appreciate that. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Uh, I'm headed to the LSU Florida game next weekend. All right. Ray's going to come with us as well. And at some point, all of y'all will be at the ranch at some point, but we're really looking forward to that. And um, the last thing I want to do, when I started this back in March of, see, was it last year or was it two years ago? Shit, I've already, see, it was 2020 or 2019 when the, co when the pandemic started? 2019, right? It was like a year and a half ago that you started this, I believe. 2020. It was 2020. Okay. March 2020. March of 2020, I started this, and it was all law. Now it's all hippie, right? No, but so the last part of this is I'm going to talk about the questions I had about law, and I want to reemphasize this. And I am, I have got reasons this week where they say the policy is open. I demanded the policy. They didn't pay it. The policy is open. Please take the case and get a billion dollars. And in three cases, I go, well, who's the defendant? And in three cases, they go, why is that relevant? So I want to go over opening a policy again, okay? Because it's still, I think, very well misunderstood. When you make a demand of an insurance company of their policy limits or less, in other words, if you give the insurance company an opportunity to pay their limits or some amount of their limits, and it gets their insured off the hook for good, as long as you give that insurance company a reasonable time to make that decision and a reasonable information, if they choose not to get their insured out of that for that policy or less, right? You don't have to demand a million dollars on a million dollar policy. It could be a 500 demand, anything under or the policy that allows the insurance company to pay and get their insured off the hook. If the insurance company chooses not to do that, they have committed an act of bad faith if later, their insured gets hit for a number over the policy. They have breached what's called the covenant of good faith and fair dealing. But they changed the law 30 years ago that didn't allow third party bad faith. In other words, defendant dude hit me, his insurance company committed bad faith, but I can't sue his insurance company because I don't have a first party relationship. So that bad faith case, that opening of the policy, ultimately would require us to get an excess verdict against the defendant. And then that defendant's claim against his insurance company has to be assigned to us, right? So have you ever wondered why? Clearly they've blown the policy, but they're not paying over the policy and they're like, screw you. And you're like, but this is a $10 million case on a $100,000 policy. <laughs> Usually it's because the defendant has died, has no assets in the estate. 
They are a here from China and they've rented a rental car and there's a million dollar policy. And then he goes back to China and you could never find him. They're in jail. They disappeared. The insurance company knows that they're not at risk unless you get an assignment from the defendant. And if the defendant's gone, then you can't get an assignment of that claim. So an analysis of whether an insurance company is going to have to pay over policy is one, did they get a reasonable opportunity to pay and they didn't. But secondly, is there a defendant that you could get an assignment from later on? And on big cases, you can, you can get that assignment during the litigation. It's hard to get because you can't talk to the defendant directly. But in a deposition, I always said, no, did you know that you could assign us your rights against your insurance company? That's one way you can talk to them. And I have found in big cases with sophisticated defendants, they have outside counsel, personal counsel. I've done an, I remember I did an assignment in litigation on a one and a half policy, open policy that they brought me in. I got an assignment while we're in litigation, settled for 21 million bucks because they knew now I had the bad faith assignment. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. It does. Hey, Mike, question. Yeah. So uh, the example you just gave right now, as far as the depot, would that be a good strategy for when you know the defendant doesn't have a penny to their name? And you probably have like a 1530 policy and they're offering nothing and the case could be worth whatever. But if the defendant doesn't have any money, then what's the huh. point? You can, it depends on the case. If it's a huge case and it's a 15 policy that didn't pay, I may say something like, um, have you asked for cumulus counsel or personal counsel? Did you know that we made a demand for your insurance policy that would have gotten you out of this case and your insurance company said no to that? Were you aware of that? Did you know that you and I, or you could hire a separate lawyer or your insurance company could hire you a second lawyer and they could call me and I could work out a way that you would be protected in the event that there's a judgment over your policy because your insurance company didn't pay. Now the defense lawyer is having a cardiac arrest right now, right? Let the record reflect Mr. Alden is talking about insurance to my client. So stipulated. There is nothing wrong with that. But most of the time, that's the only time you get to talk to the defendant, right? You certainly can't call them. You can't send them a letter. That's, that's unethical. And unless they have someone other than insurance appointed counsel, they sure as hell ain't going to tell their client that they could sue the insurance company. So that's how you do it. Okay. But Mike, in that situation, what if, you know, after that depot and when the attorney, you know, catches his breath and lets the coronary settle down, calls the insurance company and they call you up and say, here's the policy. Well, if they've already had an opportunity to pay it with reasonable time and information, shit's too late. Then I would say, oh, so you do realize that you made a mistake, but it's too late. So let's talk about how to resolve this over the policy limits. Last two points. <clears throat> the reason it's so hard to get money 
over the policy from a carrier, even with clearly bad faith, is because the money that comes from the policy has well before that time been put into an account as part of a reserve, as part of an estimate that the Department of Insurance requires. And the carrier knows I've set that money aside and we've invested the rest of it. Money over the policy comes from a different kitty. It affects their bottom line. It is money that comes from their investment income. It's money that's different than their reserve. And as you can tell, they hold on to it more. So it is not uncommon that a carrier will pay over the policy, but you, you're not gonna get full value if you wanna settle it without a trial because they're so anti-paying over the policy. So maybe you take a 60% discount over the policy because you understand that just the way it's set up, they're gonna to have to try the case if you want full value. The last thing I wanna say is it's really important when you have bigger cases. I know these are champagne problems. For all of us who have multiple layers of excess coverage in our cases, I get that that's a champagne problem. I just wanted to say one thing. If you have a case, and let's say it's worth $3 million, okay? Or let's go down. Let's say you have a case and it's worth $750,000. And they've got a 500 underlying the defense and a million dollar umbrella, okay? Or let's say the case is worth 600 grand, let's just say. You have a choice. You can make a 998 or a demand for the 1.5, let it play out. It certainly won't get paid because the case is worth six, 700 grand. You're gonna go to mediation. You're gonna do all this shit. You're gonna take time. I wanted to say that if you have a 500 and a million umbrella, if you demand a 998 of the 500, I wanted to tell you what that does when you have layers of coverage. As soon as you demand the first or the underlying layer of coverage, your best advocate for them to pay becomes the level of insurance above that 500 policy. So let's say you had a $600,000 case. If you demanded by 998 the 500, yeah, you're taking a little less. But there's a good chance you can settle that case in 30 days because the excess carrier is telling the 500, you got to settle this case. If you don't settle it, you're exposing us. And if you don't settle it, you're going to have to pay the kitty. You're going to have to cover us. You're going to have to pay all of the expenses. You're going to be responsible for bad faith. And that's coming from another insurance company. <laughs> So when I hear, oh, we got unlimited billions of dollars of coverage, I'm like, well, that sucks because I don't have layers to play insurance companies off on. Does everybody get that? Right? Sometimes your best advocate is the, the excess layer above a limit. And it might be worth it to demand a little less 
and get that carrier, the excess carrier as your advocate. Now in that case, I would do a 500-998. And then if they don't pay the 998, I go to a million and a half, right? But there's a good chance they pay that 500 based primarily on the pressure from the excess carrier, <clears throat> right? That's our law for the day, November 1st, Monday afternoon to evening, live event. <coughs> The teaser comes out today. Shocker that Rita will send you all of this information as well by email. We're gonna put uh, Kevin and Todd's information in there. Guys, thank you all very much. Thanks, like Mike. Said, everybody here is amazing. I love y'all. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Have a good hey, day, everybody. Have a good weekend. Happy Friday, bye.